Hello, and welcome to the AIPT Comics Podcast, the number one comics podcast for AIPTcomics.com. Yeah. I'm your host, Forrest with two R's. I'm Rob Zombie's stunt devil. Double. <laughs> stunt devil seems appropriate, actually, um, in case you didn't know. And this week, because our normal co-host, David Brooke, is at SDCC, getting all those hot comic deets and news, yeah. I am joined by... This is Nathan Simmons, and I want pictures of Spider-Man. Well, we can provide those, or at least news stories. Okay, well, you've been sending me I got, pictures I got of Spider-Man of... all day, so... I will I'll text you pictures of Spider-Man <laughs> right now if you want. I have lots on my phone. Those Spidey pics? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, man, I sent her a Spidey <laughs> Um, This week we are talking news about DC's SDCC announcements that have come out this week. Marvels, we're talking about X-Men, Spider-Man, Tom King and Mitch Gerads, and a whole, whole lot more. Um, I also want to remind folks that it is Spectacular Spider-Month over at AIPTComics.com. We've been posting... I think minimum two articles, Spider-Man focused articles per day, um, Monday through Saturday. All the webs you so can skip, handle. Skipping Sundays so you can get caught up, because um, it's a lot of webbing. You get webbed it's up. It's a lot of webbing. That's what we promise. <laughs> there's, webby, there's webbing. Everywhere. It's all. It's in my oh, raccoon God. wounds. <laughs> um, but yeah, please check that out. And uh, also, just a heads up that this is going to be a pretty Spidey heavy episode. Sorry. So. You want to get into it? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's do it. So the first piece of news that I have here is that DC has announced that they're returning to the Dark Multiverse, which was the um, edgier, even edgier version of uh, the multiverse that was introduced first in Metal, written by Scott Snyder. Yeah. Um, But they've announced a couple more stories that they're returning to. It seems like the first, the primary ones that have creators attached to Mm -hmm. them are um, the death of Superman. Mm And Batman Nightfall, but it also says that future stories will include uh, Teen Titans, The Judas Contract, Infinite Crisis, and Black Blackest Night. It would be cool if they did one that's like, what if uh, Identity Crisis was good? Like, there's there's like a, there's like an, <laughs> yeah. another universe where it all played out in a in an interesting way. Um, I'm excited for these. I mean, it, you know, it, it is, it can go either way where it can be a little, you know, a little too edgy or a little, you know, try hard or whatever. But these are stories that I'm already as a kid of the nineties, like I'm very excited about seeing a new take on Nightfall. Uh, and Scott Snyder's writing Nightfall, which is really exciting to me. Um, Right. I think Tom, I think Tom King's run is a new take on. Oh, you're right. (laughs) 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 That's true. Um, but yeah, you you throw Azrael in a book, and my dumbass will be there. <laughs> I think we're going to be talking about that. Yes, later we are. <laughs> we sure are. Um, some of these are really really interesting uh-huh. to me. Like uh, the death of Superman one is like, what if Lois Lane got his powers and just went crazy on everyone yeah. for killing Superman? Yeah, yeah. Like I'm into yeah, that. She becomes All right, the Eradicator, cool. right? And it, in this, in this and, and the idea. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And the broader idea that it is kind of a place for DC to do what if stories, uh-huh. I'm really into. Yeah, I miss Elseworlds. I have a problem <laughs> with. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, I think that these are probably going to be shorter than Elseworlds mm-hmm. books, in general, because a lot of those Elseworlds Elseworlds stories are at least like six issues, mm-hmm. or they were like big um, prestige El- format or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And it seems like these are going to be like one to two at mm-hmm. most. 
I, I just don't know what you could possibly do with, in particular, the Judas contract. Oh, that's true. But yeah. also, like, Blackest Night. I Those stories are already so dark and edgy sure. that I'm kind of lost on what more interesting darkness or nuance or anything you could add to Right, them. what's the version where the Judas contract goes wrong? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> like right, yeah. Um it yeah, exactly. It would almost be more interesting to me if DC were doing stories where their world is more hopeful. Oh yeah. <laughs> the the the, like, the wholesome multiverse. Yeah, like they're pushing out deceased right now, mm-hmm. which I love. Yeah, admittedly. it's super fun. They're also like hidden hard on this black label thing. Yeah, you got the last night on Earth. You've got Superman Year mm-hmm. One, all that stuff. And I really have no problem with those stories, mm-hmm. but I do kind of hesitate when I hear, "And we're gonna make them even edgier." Y- yeah, for sure. L- like, <sighs> there was already a little f- bit of that in in the metal, like the tie-ins with like the Red Death yes. and the you know, the Murder Machine. Yes. They were, I mean, they're interesting story. Most of them were interesting stories, but it is at some point you're like, man, I'm getting like exhausted. <laughs> like, right. like sometimes right. you do, yeah. like it is that old thing where you're like, well, sometimes I do just want to see my heroes like win, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, it, it, you know, for out of continuity stories, it could be really exciting. That was always one of the things that, drew me to what if comics when I was a kid was seeing seeing stories have consequences that the mainstream versions would never even consider I guess um sure so yeah I definitely and I think that what if and I hope that this does too mm-hmm. like they tend to take a, a microscope to other characters experience sometimes like b-level characters or even c-level how characters. they're reacting to the world falling apart yeah. yeah, and I think that's a lot more interesting sure. um, than some superheroes ever, superhero stories ever have the time for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not but that he's I, like a, a B-level character or whatever, but like you were saying with Deceased, like one of the things I'm enjoying the most is seeing how Oliver Queen is dealing with <laughs> the apocalypse. Right, yeah, exactly. So, And that's not a story you would normally get outside of a really, really fantastic top-down writer like Tom, sure. King, or Tom Taylor. Yeah. I mean... Um, not like Tom King, actually, but um, I, I'm cautious about this mm-hmm. um, because I, like you said, I don't know how how much more I can take with superhero stories being depressing and dark and stuff. Because spoiler alert, that's what the real world is like right now. <laughs> yep, we are um, in the dark and I multiverse. I kind of need the opposite. Yeah. Um, and and speaking of which, I think that there's another storyline mm-hmm. that has had that problem historically, or at least right mm-hmm. now, which is coming out of Uncanny X-Men, Matthew Rosenberg's run, Oh, sure. And then also Age of X-Men by Lonnie Nadler and um, Zach Thompson, mm-hmm. with a bunch of other creators in those Age of X-Men stories as mm-hmm. well. A lot of folks felt like, oh, my God, you're killing all of the X-Men. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I, like three characters die in each issue of Uncanny. Um, but Marvel has announced that with next week being the first House of X Powers of Ten week, Jonathan Hickman's new take on the X-Men, they're also ready to announce the six weekly series that will be coming after Hoxas Poxas. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're going to be release- revealing those on Saturday at San Diego Comic-Con. We're recording on Friday, so we don't know what those stories are mm-hmm. yet. 
are there any particular Xbooks you want to see or any that you're excited about? Any that you think they might announce? Oh, man. I You know, I, I was a huge X-Men fan in the 90s. This is sort of my my dark secret is that I, I've kind of very much fallen behind on all things X-Men, which is one of the reasons why I'm cautiously optimistic about a, a, a line-wide relaunch is kind of having a place mm. to start. Um, a, a good jumping off. Yeah, point, for sure. Right? Yeah. I will say I would, you know, even though it, we just got another chance and it didn't pan out, I would love another Generation X book. Like I'm always, mm. I'm always a sucker for that. Because mm-hmm. um, it, it, it kind of goes back to the core of what those original books were about of kids kind of finding their way in the world. Um, but yeah, that's, I don't really have any any real idea of what I would, you know, what I would hope for from a new series or. Well, as a child of the nineties, mm-hmm. I would have to assume that you mean Adam X, the extreme. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> obviously. obviously. And then what was the, what was the one that had the, uh, pheromone powers? <laughs> oh Jesus. I don't, I would rather not find okay, out. Okay. Let's not do that then. I think I blocked that. Okay. <laughs> from my memory. Yeah. No, Adam X, um, the, I forgot Adam X existed until very recently. And I, I saw yeah. a, a panel. I don't even remember what I was reading something. Uh, it might've been one of like Brian Cronin's articles on CBR, but I was literally like, who the hell is like, I thought it was like fan art or something. I was like, who the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, I'll tell you what I'm most hopeful mm-hmm. for. I'm not sure if it's likely. Um, I would really, really love a book that is either um, Laura Kinney, X-23, as Wolverine. Sure. Um, I don't really like her being called Laura. I don't really like her being called X-23. Mm-hmm. Um, I get this kind of like we can't let the kids grow up because it makes all the other characters look older. Sure. Thing. But um, I would really, really love if she took on the mantle of Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Logan's book can just be called Logan. Yeah. That's or got brand recognition. they can have Laura... Logan and Gabby in a book called Wolverines. Oh, I'd read that. Yeah, absolutely. Which, I mean, he's he's their dad. Yeah. So I think that that could be really interesting and dynamic mm-hmm. and also allow for a bit of more nuanced character growth than she's going to get in a mainline X Sure. And, and largely because of that issue where it's like, well, hold on a second. Now I just realized Cyclops is a 60-year-old dude in those tights. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. you know, I get that, that someone's been reading exists, my fan fiction. <laughs> I also think that they could uh, do really well with something like that. So I'm hopeful for something yeah. focused on the Wolverines or on Laura in particular, obviously. Well, and that's the drawback um, of, uh, of, of a reboot, you know, or a relaunch is you want that forward momentum and, and character yes. growth. Yeah. So hopefully that doesn't stand in the way. Um, and most folks should know that this is an X-23 fan cast yes. at this uh-huh. point. So if that surprises you, I don't know what oh, to Oh, how say. about an X-23 um, and Spider-Man team-up book? Would you? Ooh, would that be the only yeah, book on your pull yeah. list? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, but speaking of things that are surprising, yes. the top-selling book of June was Black Cat Number 1, I... written by Jed Mackey with art by Travel Foreman. And it wasn't by an insignificant number. No. It actually outsold DC's Deceased Number 2 by over 100,000 copies. Those are not rookie numbers. Like, that's no, bonkers. That's 
and, and that's a mainline storytelling or that, that's such a huge bump yeah. for Felicia. Yeah. I Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a great book. I, I really enjoyed that. I haven't read the second issue yet, but I really enjoyed the first issue. Um, uh, but it, it is it is very surprising. I don't know if it's just the draw of a number one or well, what the deal is with that. But uh, yeah, way to go. They did not say I, bye, Felicia. I, I had to. I had, <laughs> <laughs> I had to. Um, I I I think it's probably part of that is because it's a. Number ones are always really sure. successful, um, and deceased is a number two, right? Yes. But deceased has been doing really well. Actually, anything Tom Taylor does really, really well. Mm-hmm. And I just, I didn't think Black Cat pulled those kinds of names. No, for, pulled those kinds of yeah. numbers. I guess I did see. I did see people saying, uh, "It's just because it's a horny book." Is, is it know. though? It doesn't. But it's it not. doesn't feel. I yeah. mean, so that was my. I, that was actually what I was nervous about before the book came out. That it would be like yes, a cheesecakey book. I was just book. gonna say that. Um, yeah. So I. I feel like it. It had. It. It. It subverted my. My hedged expectations. I guess. So I. I really, really, uh, really enjoyed it. I mean, I've, I've always been a Black Cat fan. So. Um, maybe that maybe that's what it is. Is like people just excited to see her headlining a book too. Yeah, it could be. Um, I will say that I don't think the inherent horniness hurt her at no, all. Sure, um, but I was really happy to see that it wasn't in the book. At yeah, all, like absolutely. May, uh, um, and you know what? Maybe if if some horny people helped <laughs> Black Cat break uh, break some good numbers, then. God bless them. Sure thing. Keep yeah. being horny because um, it's a good book. And speaking of speaking of Black Cat, um, David Brooke, normal co-host, mm-hmm. has an interview with Jed Mackey mm-hmm. about Black Cat, about if she's the right love for Peter Parker, if she's really a bad person at heart, and a bunch of other interesting mm-hmm. stuff that's coming out on Monday the 22nd as part of our Spectacular Spider Month. Sweet. But now we're on to... Something not launching, something not doing well. Something dead. That might be something dead. Something dead. Uh, Yeah, Vertigo. Um, Yes. At a San Diego Comic Con panel, Dan Didio spoke about the Vertigo retirement. Mm -hmm. And he said, It's been a pretty exciting year for us at DC Comics. We got a lot of great stuff going on in the DC universe. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard this or not, but we made multiple changes to the way we put books out. I know a lot of people are Vertigo fans. I just want to be clear that the fact that the imprint go away doesn't matter. What's in the books is what matters. And then he continued, what we need to do is give you a destination that makes the most sense. We have a great name, DC Comics. It makes the most sense to let us put everything under that same name. You know why this doesn't (laughs) track to me? (laughs) If you look at those books, the, the... The low. I mean, it's not like they're they're shipping these without DC on the cover. It's DC Vertigo. Like that's part right. of the logo, and it doesn't track to me to say like, oh, we're gonna narrow it down if DC Young Animal still exists, DC Black Label still exists. They just <laughs> announced two new imprints for young adult and children's graphic novels. Um, you know, if the if the yeah. if the idea is to streamline it, then do that and stick to it but it just feels oh hill hill house you know like it it just i mean all of these things are things i'm excited for so it's not really like i'm 
bitter about it. It's just I don't understand the thought process behind it or like it you're not really towing a line if you're still if you're still expanding otherwise. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And I I think it his statements read a little bit just disingenuous to me because a line like that or an imprint mm-hmm. like that isn't just a title. Mm-hmm. It's an editorial direction. Yes. It's a collection of editors and creators that have been specifically picked to have some sort of tonal acuity across all of their books. Mm -hmm. Gerard Way is fantastic at Mm -hmm. that with Young Animal. All of those books are existential dread nightmares, and I love them for that. And you know that's what you're getting into when you see the Young Animal name. If you see the Vertigo name, you know you're getting something kind of cerebral and fantastical. And I was just going to say that that has historically been the exact same with Vertigo, mm-hmm. especially under Karen Berger. Oh, yes. I mean, the real Vertigo these days is over at Berger Books under D- under um, Dark Horse. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm challenged by his comments. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily fault them for trying to realign. Sure. And I think that there's probably a little bit of Warner Media. Mm-hmm meddling there um i know that that was part of the mad magazine cancellation dan very publicly said that he wants to bring mad back Mm -hmm. so i i would say that there's more happening here and they're kind of him and jim lee in particular are really stuck with making it make sense to consumers um i wish that they wouldn't do it in a way that disregards yeah all of their successful work and direction. Well, it's like, but if that's what it yeah. takes, I don't know. Well, it's kind of like the the you know the sort of indecision that's going along with the uh, the DC Universe app and the idea that people don't know if it's going to be folded into something else. If it, you know, right. like it just seems yeah. like there's a lot of let's do this. I'm really excited about it. Let's get everyone excited about it. And then there's a lot of damage control when they decide to restructure. Like, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know Absolutely. if it's if it's short sightedness or if it's just if it's if it is like more of a, a a business related decision. It just kind of like you said, it kind of rings a little off to me. Yeah. Um, speaking of mm-hmm. making amends mm-hmm. or trying, God, to... you're so good at segues. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, Tom King and Mitch Gerads reacted to the Heroes in Crisis backlash, also at a San Diego Comic-Con panel. Um, During a Spotlight on King Mm -hmm. panel, King said, people fucking hated Heroes in Crisis so much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, dude. (laughs) I've never written something someone hated so much. You're goddamn right. Uh (laughs) But I love it. I think I got the message I wanted to get across. I think killing Wally West, it was a tough hill for people to climb. And then Gerard's added, it all made sense. When when bad things happen to characters, it's earned in a way. Everything led to that moment, and it had to be that. That's the point of the story. When you break, you do it out of character. You don't break in character. King continued by saying, Wally was my Flash growing up. He was the Peter Parker of the DCU. No, he wasn't, (laughs) but whatever. Yeah. It was tough on him because it was he was like the symbol of rebirth killing people. First of all, Wally doesn't murder anyone. That doesn't happen. There's heroism in being vulnerable to say I to say to always say I'm strong is not to be strong, it's to be arrogant. Okay, the the argument that Wally doesn't murder anyone, that's like in in that book. Yeah. Yeah, in particular. That's like saying yeah. well, I know I was 
drunk and driving the car that everyone was in, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it's so, it, and also here's the thing. The, 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 I think that he sees people's problems with it as something than they actually were. To me, it was just, it wasn't even so much the, the plot that bothered me, although it did. It's just that it's such a, it's such a nasty book. Like, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) it it doesn't... Yeah, I do. There's a... In a way that, like, something like Mr. Miracle wasn't, where there's still an undercurrent of self-improvement, self-betterment, trying to, you know, overcome your Mm -hmm. past. And Heroes in Crisis essentially tells you, no, you're always going to be fucked. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's actually a moment in... um, And I'll talk about this a little bit Uh later... In Superior Spider-Man number nine mm-hmm. from Christos Gage and Mike Hawthorne this mm-hmm. week, where Spidey is like, the regular Spidey, Peter Parker, is like, you know, I always struggle with this. It's like, my voice is telling me to give up, that I'm not strong enough, that compassion won't win the day and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to get past that. You have to keep trying. Yes. And Otto snaps to Peter and says, your inner voice is right, you fool. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pitch perfect yes. for Otto. Yeah. But writing characters like Wally West that way mm-hmm. doesn't track at all. No, and and here's the thing is I I see Gerard's point about you have to make it make sense in you know, you have to make it make sense in character, bring the story to that point. But again, you're contorting this character into what you need him to do right. in the story. It doesn't it yeah. doesn't track for Wally West to do this, you know? I I think that his point about, yeah, you break somewhat out of character is well said. Mm-hmm. I actually think it's better said than anything Tom did, and maybe Tom's just feeling defensive of the book. Drads is being a little but more that's... open about it. Like, it's not, it, it feels a lot less dismissive, I guess. Right. I think that that's the key mm-hmm. part. Um, and, and, and that they're both mis- missing what the actual issue with that book mm-hmm. is in that Wally is a, a manslaughterer, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and the book is entirely about him and his feelings and not his victims. Yeah, and it's also, it happens because he gets careless, which is anyone yeah. who, uh, and, and again, I, I get it. People have different takes on characters and blah, blah, blah. blah. And, and it's hard for me to let it go because I... I agree with King. Wally was my flash when I was a kid, you know? So I, but in that, I understand that Wally went through, Wally has gone through so much to be at a point where he wouldn't make such a careless attack like that. You know what I mean? Like it, it still feels like you're, you're twisting this character into what you need for your big reveal without Right. really considering whether or not they would do such a thing, whether it was an yeah. accident or not. Yeah, I think that's very succinctly said, and I think underlines a lot of the problems that people had with the mm-hmm. book. Um, speaking of books that I may have a little bit of a problem oh, with, yes. at the Spider-Man panel um, at SDCC as mm-hmm. well, they, uh, editor Nick Lowe and C.B. Sibolsky announced a new six-issue Spider-Verse uh-huh. title being written by Jed Mackey. 
Um, it says, in the aftermath of Sony Pictures Animation's hit movie Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Marvel Comics is throwing Miles Morales in a similar adventure. <laughs> Announced Friday, um, and that's today that we're recording, Miles Morales finally feels like he gets this Spider-Man <laughs> stuff and then falls through a portal. Dang it. But isn't the web of life and destiny destroyed? Hmm. Maybe not, true to believer. <laughs> Who spun this new web? And then, I love this part. Regardless, <laughs> Miles finds himself at the center of a multiversal adventure that will feature a who's who of creators and characters as the series spins forward. I love that even the solicit is like, this doesn't make sense. Fuck it. We're doing it. <laughs> right. Spider-Verse. Yeah. We'll do it live. Um, um, yeah, it was really fun hearing you read this news. <laughs> like when, when you saw it, when it came across your timeline, seeing you, like hearing you react to it was genuinely yeah. a joy for me. Um, <sighs> yeah. Oh. Go on. <laughs> okay, so here's here's the thing. And I, I know that you've read Spider-Man. Uh-huh. Why on earth did they green light a Spider-Geddon book where the the entire point is these characters need to not be tied to the Spider-Verse inherently. They need to be their own uh-huh. characters. We need to destroy the web of life and destiny so that they can all tell their own stories for a time. Christos Gage on Superior, Saladin Ahmed on Miles Morales, Shauna McGuire on Ghost Spider, to just default to, I guess that movie did good, huh? Mm-hmm. Like, the movie did good because it is born out of a comics story. Yeah. You can't, if you get into the circuitous publishing cycle where you're writing books that inform movies and then writing books informed by the movies, at some point you're going to get to the point where you're not creating any new content. You mean like Civil War II? Yes! <laughs> Civil War II is a perfect yeah. example of that. Um, I remember there was a few years ago when Thor The Dark World came out, they did this whole big storyline where uh, in the comics where Iron Man fought against Malekith and mm. and they were literally the logline was see the villain of the new Thor movie fight you know your favorite Marvel hero because no one liked Thor at the time, <laughs> so it was it was right. like and it, it is you do get to that point where you're just like it was kind of like with the uh, the new Marvel Ultimate Alliance game it's like at some point you feel like well I would love to see as much as I enjoy these films I was excited to see these films because they were adapting characters that I already loved. And storylines that I already exactly. love. So I don't necessarily need to see the snake eat its own tail here. Right. Um, I, I think that that perfectly sums up the way that I feel about it. It's like it, it's this Ouroboros of comics publishing. <laughs> um, but like I, the other flip side of the coin is, and I said this to you when the news came across my desk. I am going to read it and ask to review every issue of it for aptcomics.com, sure. right? Like, I still love the characters, and I still love the concept. I just kind of think it's – I hesitate to use the word malpractice. <laughs> yeah. Editorial mismanagement. Uh-huh. To give someone a story like Christos Gage wrote in Spider-Geddon, and then to be like, less than six months later, we're going to undo that. Well, yeah, it – you know, like, it was like we were, you know, a couple episodes ago, we were dunking on the, you know, the idea that the absolute carnage uh, lead-ins were going to be in just all these random books, but we were still excited about it. Like, yeah. at the that, end of the day, yeah, at the exactly. end of the day, as much as I don't understand the thought process behind Spider-Verse, 
Um, I mean, outside of branding, you know, uh, I'm still excited about it. This cover art's awesome. <laughs> the cover art is exactly what I want. I loved that Miles Morales number eight yeah. cover that was the Spider-Verse art. Uh, that one was actually done by the Spider-Verse uh, art oh, lead. Yeah. Um, and this one, it lo- looks a lot like that. I love that the uh, SP slash slash DR Penny Parker's bot yes. is the correct look. Mm-hmm. It's got Spiderling, Annie Mae Parker. Love her. Mm-hmm. I love 2099. They've also got Spider-Man. Yeah, with her Chef Boyardee <laughs> hat. <laughs> yeah, a universe where Aunt May was Spider-Man. Um, so it seems like they are picking up on some threads of Spider-Man yeah. as well. I would assume Spider-Man's on Spider-Ma'am is on the cover because she adopted the childized inheritors from the end of Spider-Gaddon. Oh, yeah. But it, it just like... They're really running a truck over a, a big event that they hyped at the sure. top of the year. So it, it seems weird to me. Um, I'm not going to hold it against them too much, though, just because I love Spider-Man sure. so much. Um, let's talk about things that we do mm-hmm. love from here on out. Why don't you tell me what you think or know, because <laughs> you're looking at the show yeah. notes, what the comic book roundup top books were for this sure. week. Sure. A critic pick and a fan. So the critic pick was Silver Surfer Black number two with a 9.5, um, mm-hmm. which I have not read this miniseries yet. I keep hearing it's fantastic. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. I think that it might read it, first of all, as a companion piece to both Guardians and Venom. Sure. So you kind of need to be caught up okay. on those. I also get the feeling that it might read better as a, a completed trade. Okay. I might wait for the yeah. trade. I mean, I, I love Silver Surfer so much that it's going to be hard for me to kind of wait on that. But um, And then the fan pick was Collapser number one with a 9.8 out of 10. Yes. And uh, Collapser I quite enjoyed. Uh, yeah. You liked yeah. It? Um, it? We'll talk about that a little bit more mm-hmm. here um, coming up, but... It was one of my yeah the uh, yeah it's got a it's got a really interesting hook to it it has a well yeah we'll talk about it in just a sec for sure yeah, <laughs> we will. Um, I I do want to introduce a new twist to these comic book roundup yeah. segments um, so I'm going to read the the blurb on comic book roundup from the fan okay. for Collapser and then the highest rated uh, critic pick for Silver Surfer Black number okay. two. Go for it. So the highest rated fan pick for or fan comment on Collapser is a 10 out of 10 from In Night 033, who says, cool. <laughs> what a twist, M. Knight. That's awesome. <laughs> and then uh, 10 out of 10 from Adam Barnhart mm-hmm. over at comicbook.com for Silver Surfer Black number two. And he says, you think they can't top themselves? And guess what? They go out and top themselves. Like the rest of you, I had hardly had time to pick my job off the floor after the debut issue last month. And then just a few short weeks later, Kate's and more upend the status quo all over. Nice. Yeah, I'm going to have to pick this one up. I don't disagree with that at all. I think that's really well put. I really liked uh, Silver Surfer this week. It was contentious for me, actually, between these two books. Oh, yeah. Um, but I, I, if you want a different take as well, I think our reviewer over at AIPTcomics.com did not like Silver Surfer. Oh, really? So definitely go check that out. Yeah, it's a little a new, more nuanced okay. take than me just being like, it's yeah, good. Yeah, Silver Surfer's you know? neat. <laughs> um, 
What was your number two pick for this My week? My number Nathan? two pick for this week. Uh, I'm really glad you guys bring me on basically every time there's a James Bond issue out because it makes it very easy for me to sure. pick. Um, but I really loved James Bond 007 number nine, written by Greg Pak with art by Eric Gapster and Robert Carey. Um, this one, uh, bonds under deep cover and he's kind of, they kind of play with the idea that maybe he's been brainwashed. Uh, and it's just a really cool heist mission. Uh, they, the, they, they're still doing a, uh, Greg Pak does a really great job, um, fleshing out the supporting cast. He's his, the way, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, the way he writes, uh, money penny is just fantastic. Um, he's really made her, even more capable than she's ever come across in the films. And I've really enjoyed, you know, the, the last couple of uh, movies take on uh, money penny, but um, there's a, she is like fully prepared to take bond out in this story. If he crosses the line <laughs> and I'm really into that. Cool. Um, it's uh, it really plays on expectations, like kind of sets you up to think it's going to go a certain way, especially if you're a Bond fan. You you kind of have an idea of the tropes and the trappings of James Bond. Um, it, the, the series consistently finds ways to kind of fake you out based on what you're expecting, but it also still gives you the things you want in a mm-hmm. 007 story. Um, and each issue just kind of ramps up the tension. It's building this big old conspiracy with Goldfinger. So like as someone who like, loves the movie series and the novels like this is like i'm having a field day reading this series are you excited for the recently announced vita ayala yes james bond series yes Yes. i am i i uh, there's there's that and then there's also um dynamite has a new uh uh, they did a graphic novel adaptation of casino royale last year and they've got live and let die coming out this year um, in a couple of months, oh, so cool. which uses the original text from the novels. It's they're really well done. So I, this is such a good time to be a James Bond fan, and I think people kind of, I mean, they're doing well, but I I, I get the feeling that like it's a tie-in or not a tie-in book, but like a, uh, you know, like a media adaptation. So sometimes people kind of don't give it the time of day that it deserves. But these are like really well written and considered spycraft stories. Um, and origin James Bond origin also is fantastic. So I'm, I'm really spoiled lately. Yeah, that sounds, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I, I haven't read James Bond since Alice Cott was writing oh, sure. it. And I read that primarily because there was a lot of comic skate and, uh, yes conservative backlash to that story because James Bond was killing white supremacists. I, and that's um, why I, I really, it. I really loved it. Yeah. If Bond could um, punch more Nazis, I, I, would be very okay with it yeah me too um my second yes. pick was collapser number mm-hmm. one um as previously yeah. mentioned written by mikey way and sean simon mm-hmm. with art by elis kriazis i think i'm so sorry Kira- yeah um, that's right kriazis maybe yeah um i thought that this was a fun although somewhat disparate book uh-huh. um i really really like in particular the way that the art and the narrative meet each other in the mm-hmm. middle. Um, if you don't know the conceit of Collapser, it's that there's this character. This is a young animal book, so it's got a lot of that previously mentioned ex- existential mm-hmm. dread and like mid twenties angst. Main a, <laughs> right, the main character is a bit of an asshole, but his internal monologue shows that he's really not. He's just having a hard time 
with kind of social anxiety mm-hmm. and reconciling his feelings and stuff. Um, and that all feels very relatable. Oh, to sure. Me. The, the whole conceit of the book, though, is that he has this black hole in the center of mm-hmm. his chest or that he will by the end of the first. It's season. a metaphor. <laughs> One thing that I really, really liked throughout it was the lettering. Mm-hmm. And um, in particular, the narrative, the narration, uh, his internal monologue. Mm-hmm is in this black circle with a uh, kind of purple outline. So you've got the normal dialogue going and you actually have different fonts between them. And um, this kind of these negative feelings or these feelings of anxiety and self-doubt and even anger Mm -hmm. that he's feeling internally um, are within a literal black hole. Right. Um, And I thought that that was a really, really neat way to have the visuals of the book meet the narrative Mm -hmm. To say nothing of the fact that, like, it starts with this kind of mundane story where he's at an old folks' home, mm-hmm. and then it takes a turn into, like, this really great shot where he's on a bus, and all of the bystanders are blue, but he's orange from the outside oh, light, yeah. um, kind of signifying that he's, like, this main character, and he's got this struggle between light and dark inside of him that's going to become very right. real, um, quite literal, Um but and then also it takes this turn into like this synth wave aesthetic for a little bit because he's also a DJ. Those scenes were great um, because the you can tell that he's terrified of this gig and there's a there's just a sort yes. of um you know obviously he's in like a club or whatever but it's it, it, there's this, this kind of um, claustrophobic feel to it. But then as soon as he starts performing, it's the first time you've seen him at peace with himself. The whole. The whole issue. Yes. Which yeah. I love. Kind of as soon as he puts on those sunglasses. <laughs> yeah. And he becomes um, a real cool really guy. It's really got this whole... Yeah. It's got an aesthetic that reminded me a lot of Drive. Yes. Actually. Yeah, for um, sure. And then the way that that all kind of melts away as soon as the DJing scene falls mm-hmm. apart. All really, really good and really interesting. I will say that there's like a lot of different tones and visuals yes. and stuff yeah. in this book. Um, I hope to see them kind of get tightened up. Mm-hmm as we go into the next issue. Um, but I, I don't disagree with the fans at all, but it probably is like a 9.8 or 9 out of 10. Yeah, book. I loved it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, what was your number one? And my number one was uh, Blade Runner 2019 number one, written by Michael Green and Mike Johnson with art by Andres Guinaldo. Uh, the, uh, it, it takes place in the same time frame as the original film, um, which by the way, like 2019 is a huge year for science fiction, both Akira and Blade Runner are supposed to be happening right now. And I don't have my flying cars or my dope motorcycle jacket. And I'm, <laughs> I was just uh, going to say, Good although, bro. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, although Dave was, uh, was talking about buying that jacket cause you can get it now. Um, and oh. I think he should. And I, <laughs> but, um, I I often go back between Akira and Spirited Away being my favorite movie. Oh, so I'm. I will probably there you also go. get that. I I th- yeah I, I lean more towards uh, Princess Mononoke, but that's kind of that's mm. kind of my aesthetic is uh, whimsical, but also we'll hate t- myself. We'll talk about this <laughs> off the podcast, fair Nathan. Enough, fair enough. I see your opinions. Okay. I will shine a light Okey-doke. on them. Um, the uh, but yeah, so Blade Runner twenty nineteen uh, has a really cool film noir kind of feel to it. Um, there's a there's a mm-hmm. there's a neat narration uh, 
where you follow this this Blade Runner on her latest uh, missing persons case. Um, but it's the the narration is is able to explain things and set a mood without being cloying, kind of like the the theatrical release of Blade Runner had like too much narration. Uh, and the the thing that's most interesting to me is how challenging the lead character is to read about. Um, her name is Ash, and she is straight up a bigot. Like the there's the uh, in the opening scenes of Blade Runner twenty forty nine, the first time you see Ryan Gosling's character Officer K uh, heading into the department he's being called like skin job and like people are like hate him because he's a replicant. Um, and Ash is basically where this takes place. The, uh, the time frame, the replicant uprising has been pretty recent. So everyone's still terrified of the replicants um, to the point where Ash was like one of the first people to sign up to be a blade runner. So it has this very kind of, um, the first thing you see in the book is she's found this replicant that she's supposed to retire and she is telling him when you're dead, I'm going to sell your eyes. Like <laughs> I'm going to like, I'm going to make oh, money Jesus. on the side off of you. Yeah. Um, it's really wow. moody and very dark. It doesn't ever feel like it's pushing too hard to be dark. It, um, and I think, I think the thing that helps with it is uh, Michael Green, the, the co-writer, he wrote 2049 and Logan. So he's got these kind of, uh, He's really got a, a feel for these kind of uh, self-loathing characters, um, mm-hmm. but the uh, it, it has a very kind of contemplative feel. It never feels like it's trying to shock you. It almost feels like um, it almost feels like the shield in the future. So like I, it's I don't know. It's got a really cool conceit to it, and a character that I think is going to push me to hate her. Um, so I'm I'm interested Before to see end up liking her. Yeah, I'm yeah. interested to see how yeah. she develops, but uh it, it's a it is not it is it's a it's a more challenging read than I was expecting and I'm really really excited to see where it goes. Um speaking of characters that make you hate them before you <laughs> like them. Uh my number one pick of the week is Superior Spider-Man number mm-hmm. 9 written by Christos Gage with art by Mar- Mike mm-hmm. Hawthorne. This issue is really, really fantastic because it has been, it seems that even through Spider-Geddon, mm-hmm. the previous event that led into this, as well as the previous eight issues of this solo title sure. book, it has all been building to this. And I've kind of struggled with this story in the past because I, I've i been waiting for them to pick up on the threads from Spider-Geddon, mm-hmm. or I've been waiting for them to pick up on the threads from previous Superior Spider-Man books, um, one of my most favorite Spider-Man stories of all time. And it, it's been kind of trapped in this loop of, of event tie-ins and also Monster of the Week type storytelling. Sure. I, I really like the different weird, kooky, pulpy characters that are pulled for each issue, like Master Pandemonium and Sentry D. Turner. Mm-hmm. Um and stuff, but it, it's really felt like it's all at the cost of having any personal development right, yeah. for Otto. Like, the book is like, oh, all this crazy stuff's happening, but Otto is impenetrable. Which was, right? he's just got which this, is the antithesis of that original Superior run. Absolutely. Yeah. That original Superior run is like almost an internal Oh, yeah. Storytelling. To the point story, where they right? had to give all of his enemies their own book. <laughs> Right, right. Um, and so 
I have struggled with that in the mm-hmm. past, but this issue kind of says, here's our answer to that. Cool. Um, out of a tie-in from War of the Realms, uh, there was two issues that tied into War of the Realms. Otto um, is back in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. He is gifted a key to the city, to San Francisco, <laughs> and he goes off on this tangent about how he doesn't want it because how dare these people be focusing on something so mm-hmm. worthless um, and they're fools and blast it and all that typical auto yes. stuff. Um, and he, he flies away from them. Mm-hmm. He tells Anna Maria the same kind of thing. And then Peter Parker comes around and is like, hey, I saw you during War of the Realms. How are you feeling? Mm. Um, and Otto says, you know, how dare they focus on all these trivial things when there were frost giants in our city just weeks right. ago. And, and all that stuff, right? And Spidey, as I mentioned before, is like, well, you kind of have to to reconcile those mm-hmm. two things. Don't fault them. You can try really, really hard to be a hero and feel like you need to stop, but you need to be a hero for those those people that don't have the ability to elevate themselves. Above. Right, they need something to aspire to. Yeah. Right, and um, Otto tries to push, them, push mm-hmm. him away. You know, he says, your internal voice is right, you fool. <laughs> Give up on being a hero, but me, I'm supposed to be superior. Oh, wow. And Peter is like, I I don't think that you get it, uh-huh. man. To which Otto takes off his mask mm-hmm. and says, no, you don't get it. 30 people died from my city during War of the Realms. Oof. Yeah. And I am supposed to be better than that. If you want to talk about heroism, you go away and do it on your own terms. But I am supposed to be better than even you. And then he starts crying. And so I, I'm totally spoiling the book <laughs> at this point. But it's I just like, read, I, this has me more excited such... to read it, though, because it, it I understand the feeling of burying yourself in your work to keep from sure. like that's that's yes. exactly. That's exactly the kind of uh, character development I can jump into and understand. The the emotional catharsis that I felt. Sure. That maybe maybe retroactively all of those weird little starts and stops and alleyways of character development and weird characters. They mean something now. Yeah. To this very intentionally. Yeah, he's you know he's crying and he's screaming mm-hmm. at people. He literally collapses with sadness. Oof. Um, and so it's like this great, great big step sure. for Otto's character development that has been kind of stagnant. Um, and I'm really, really excited to see where they go, especially because they have introduced also threads from Spider Geddon, mm-hmm. namely one villain who was a big um, cliffhanger at the end of Spider Geddon is going to be introduced here. So to see them finally answering all of that lacking character development as well as following up on Spider Geddon mm-hmm. is so exciting. Yeah, absolutely. To me. Um, so it, it was really, really impactful. It really rang true of the differences between Otto and mm-hmm. Peter. Um, I, I really, really liked it a lot. Nice. All right. That's exciting, man. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. Um, speaking of Spider-Man, mm-hmm. and speaking more particularly of Peter Parker, yes. our first segment this week is, who do you think is Peter Parker's one true love? Oh boy! Um, Hello and welcome to Web Club. <laughs> I'm Forrest Um I mean, for me, it's 
And again, I guess we're just going to talk about 90s nostalgia through this whole issue. But for me, it's it's always Mary Jane. Um, okay. And, and, I, and a lot of that comes from when I started reading Spider-Man comics, uh, I, I always it always struck me how much of a uh, team that Mary Jane and Peter were um, because uh, it, it's, it's kind of similar to, to, you know, Lois and Clark when I was getting into reading the Superman comics in the nineties, just seeing a, uh, a steady couple was awesome. But beyond that, I was just, you know, there were, there's so many characters that have like the love interest is like this kind of disposable damsel in distress or, you know, like, oh, that's this character is so-and-so's girlfriend. You know what I mean? And Mary Jane, to me, was... She was a strong, developed character. Peter wanted to protect her, but he never acted like she needed to be completely guarded. You know what I mean? Like, which is huge Mm -hmm. for someone who lost the first love of his life. Uh, you know, when with, after the death of Gwen Stacy, the idea that Peter would not only date somebody, but be able to let them out of his sight without losing his mind is pretty incredible. Um, you know, and she's never quite been the same character since Brand New Day. It kind of depends on who's writing her at the time. But uh, when Peter and Mary Jane... I always go back to the 90s and they were my favorite marriage in comics, like along with like Ralph and Sue Dibney. It just felt like the power couple. Um, and I always really mm, dug that. Yeah. That uh, she, she never, she would worry about him being Spider-Man in the way that uh, someone worries about a loved one, but it was never like a, you better stop being Spider-Man, you know? Um, so I always, I always dug Mary Jane and I always thought that, that's the reason why Peter loved her is because he trusted her implicitly. Um, mm. I, I, hmm. I love sure. MJ. I love their relationship. Sure. I also think that their, if their relationship wasn't so successful, things like one more day wouldn't have even occurred to sure. anyone. Right, I don't think One More Day is a good story. I don't think any <laughs> Spider-Man fan Hot does. Take, yeah. But I also see where it came sure. from, which is like this. You can talk about Uncle Ben, and you can talk about Peter's secret identity. But this is the way to you hurt can talk him. Talk about <laughs> his his yes, exactly. His greatest villains couldn't hurt him in this mm-hmm. way. And I I see where that came from, although it's poorly done. And God bless J. Michael Straczynski for coming out and saying that wasn't yeah. my choice um yeah he's like he was like if I i'm gonna if if they're gonna make such a big mistake then at least i'll be the one who writes it <laughs> like <which I> think <laughs> right is kind of amazing um and i i definitely see where that's mm-hmm. coming from and i get it and i i really love that they've always been allowed to be a married mm-hmm. couple in comics because that's so mm-hmm. rare um, I'm also equally excited for the recently announced Leah Williams uh, uh, writing the amazing Mary so Jane, hype. Uh, five a five issue miniseries about MJ trying to rekindle her Hollywood career. Mm-hmm. I think that's really really exciting. Um, and I did feel like you said that kind of '90s nostalgia where it's like, yes, mm-hmm. give it to MJ. Let her have a book. Let her have yeah. a story. You know. And for the same reason that you're saying, where it's like she's allowed to be a character outside of the title yeah. spider-man yeah i remember reading um, uh i think it was in a 
uh, it was in a Maximum Carnage uh, issue uh, back in the 90s, but there's a scene where Mary Jane is like worried about Pete, so she decides to go out and go dancing. And she's at a club, and there's people around her going like, "That's Mary Jane Watson. She's she's the she's the star of Secret Hospital." Like the fact that she was like like people, she wasn't just Spider Man's girlfriend, Mary Jane. You know what I mean? Uh, so right. I always I just yeah. uh, I think it might have more to do with me loving the character more than. Uh, maybe how I feel Peter feels towards her, if that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. And it's also like their relationship has just existed Mm -hmm. for so long that it's going to take ups and downs in weird alleyways. It's going to take Peter falling in love or flirting with Felicia, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's going to take, it's going to weather Gwen Stacy and stuff. Um, But I will say that my pick for who is Peter Parker's one true Flash love. Flash Thompson. <laughs> oh. <you> <laughs> no, oh my um, God. My heart just jumped. <laughs> I, was, I was very no. excited. Okay, go for it. Um, it's himself. Ooh. I think that Spider-Man has, Peter in particular, has never been given the distance and the alone time that he really needs to reconcile the death of Ben. Yeah. The death of Gwen Stacy, the fact that he is this person who has to bear great power and also great responsibility. I don't want to say that I think it's selfish to be married to or in love with Mm -hmm. MJ or to uh, flirt around with Felicia. Mm -hmm. Um, I get where all of those things come from, but one of my most favorite Spider-Man stories of all time is Spider-Man Blue. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that entire book where he's kind of recording this message mm-hmm. to Gwen Stacy on the anniversary of her mm. death is basically saying Peter compartmentalizes. Yes. He hasn't actually reconciled this in his personal life. He hasn't thought about where the intersection of Spider-Man and Peter Parker is. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's takes on Batman. It's like Batman Bruce Wayne is the costume. Mm-hmm. That's not true for Spider-Man. And when they try to do that, it like the that time in the nineties when he was the spider, like it doesn't it doesn't ring true. Right. Absolutely. And so I think what's so interesting about Spider Man in particular is that when a villain enters his mm-hmm. life, it's not just a problem for Spider Man, it's a problem for Peter Parker. Sure. These relationships that he has with MJ in particular, she's not only in a relationship with Mm -hmm. Peter Parker, she's in a relationship with Mm Spider-Man. But Peter himself doesn't take enough time to think about that or realize it. Yeah. He wants everything. His life is a constant web of trying to balance school and the Daily Bugle and MJ and being Spider-Man and Aunt May and all these other things, right? Mm -hmm. He wants it all. And obviously the inherent catch of the Parker luck is that he can't have it all. Right. That something will fall through the strands of the web. But how much better and stronger of a character would he be? Or as a person, Mm -hmm. talking about personal growth, if he just took time to really sit down and say, I'm I'm not over Gwen Stacy. I'm not okay. Mm -hmm. And I can't give you the love that I think that you deserve. Oof, right? yeah. And so I think that 
Peter's fascination with always trying to help someone and always try to be the better person and be an example to the community and stuff is very, very good. And I love him for that. I also don't think that it's born out of a healthy place. Right. And so I guess ultimately what I would say is that he needs to take a break from it. And not in a way that it is like one more day where they forced Peter to be single. But I want him to do it because he chooses it. Man, that's really well thought out. <laughs> I, I mean, it is it is um, kind of like that, uh, like Mark Wade's take on Daredevil. The, the idea that uh, I have to be this kind of aloof personality or I'm going to lose everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's yeah. No, I mean I don't have anything to add to that. <laughs> that's that's I, I I will say to kind of wrap sure. this all up though. I'm aware that that might totally ruin the character. <laughs> no, I don't um, think so at all. I mean it there is there is a lot of that you know that he carries with him. Um but it is uh that's a really interesting take. It will it will actually yeah. color the way I read uh Spider-Man going forward in a good way. I I would say that it's born out of Spider-Man Blue mm-hmm. and also Craven's Last Hunt. Oh, sure. Um because there's a lot of like Spider-Man in Craven's Last Hunt goes to MJ and lets her know that he's mm-hmm. alive so that she doesn't worry, but then he's like immediately I have to go get Vermin though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like that's I think that that is ultimately inconsistent. Yeah, he he will not allow himself to, say, to, to do yeah to not to not focus on to, this yeah to go to MJ and say I was dead for two weeks and I'm so sorry <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna immediately put myself back in that situation mm-hmm. which when things when things were bad between MJ and Peter it was because of stuff like that where he'd say like right. well I, I understand that. You know, you came home and I was bleeding out in the kitchen or, you know, but I, you know, (laughs) stuff like that. But he's like, but, you know, I got to do my job. And there is a level of, I get it, great power, great responsibility. But what about your other responsibilities? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the ultimate crux of why the character Mm -hmm. works. But I would also love to see them explore it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of exploring things, <laughs> what are you excited for? Next week, I'm excited to explore Batman Curse of the White Knight number one uh, by Sean Gordon Murphy. Uh, it's the mm-hmm. follow-up miniseries to Batman White Knight. Um, really excited to check it out because, uh, again, uh, I teased, we teased this a little bit earlier. Uh, it's a, it's an Azrael story. <laughs> <laughs> yes yes uh which is really cool i i always get the feeling that uh that sean murphy whenever i i read something he works on i it does seem like he's uh very excited by the same things that i get excited about in in superhero That's books exactly how i feel about Donald oh Prince. yeah for sure so I, I totally get that um, yeah well, I mean, like, the, you know, spoilers for White Knight, but, like, there's a extended sequence where everyone's driving a different Batmobile, and, oh, there's the Anton First <laughs> Batmobile, oh, there's the Norm Brayfogle Batmobile, like, uh, so it's, it is really cool, but um, the, the idea is it's following the, the Joker trying to, yet again, kind of expose the Dark Knight as a, 
as a fraud or as the real danger to Gotham City uh, through possibly, you know, more messed up means than he should. Um, the the one thing I'm nervous about um, with this book, and it's it's the, my 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 small issue with um, White Knight, uh, is that the the treatment of Batman as a character borders on character assassination. <laughs> but yeah, I was just gonna. But say it's that. Yeah. Uh, the you know toward the end of the story, you kind of see why he's behaving sort of the way why he's behaving the way that he has. Um, you know, and maybe that's why he's wearing a suit that has a popped collar because he's just going through some shit. But the, uh, <laughs> but the, uh, this one, it, it says they're going to reveal the mystery of his ancestry. And I'm really like, please tell me we're not going to get like, you know, Thomas Wayne was a Nazi or like, you know, like I just, I, yeah. if, if you're going to explore that Batman's not, uh, necessarily the, the greatest guy, White Knight was more or less decent at doing that as a version of Batman that we'd recognize, just one that's maybe been pushed too far. I hope he doesn't become a cartoonishly violent character. The The, the biggest problems I had with White Knight were moments like Batman shoving a bottle of pills down the Joker's throat. Like, it felt like, oh, that's Frank Miller's Batman would do that, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, I get But it, still, I mean, I... Murphy has such a fun visual style and he really genuinely writes the best Harley Quinn in years. Uh, so I'm very, uh, I'm very excited to see the, the stuff that I liked about white Knight. I want to see more of, so I'm still very excited for it. Yeah, I, I can drive with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that I'm picking it up because the colorist is Matt Hall. Oh yes, of course. Who I think does fantastic. Absolutely. Work. And to whom I am also related. <laughs> so, oh, no kidding. Yeah, uh, my last name is Yes, that, it's and, all coming together. Yeah. yeah, so we don't know exactly how, <laughs> but um, we have talked about it in the oh, past. Oh, that's funny. We are both, it's either, it's most likely coming from either the Irish side uh-huh. or the English side, but yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So I'm always stoked when I see his name on books because yeah. I'm like, that's. My I never want to. Uh, I never want to assume something like that because growing up with the last name Simmons and every kid being like, "You, your dad's Richard Simmons," like I never. <laughs> sure. You know Gene Simmons. You have a long sure. tongue. Um, so yeah, that's awesome though. Yeah, um, I will say that I'm most yes. excited next week for History of the Marvel Universe number yeah. one. Yeah written by Mark Wade with art by Javier Rodriguez. Uh This is the kind of book that I want Marvel and DC to capitalize Mm. on for their big 80th anniversary Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, big love letters. I don't want you you to reprint $1 True Believers issues. (laughs) All right? I want new content that moves the the title and the characters Mm -hmm. and the world forward. Mm but in a way that makes everything retroactively rich. Sure. Um, and I think a lot of creators are trying to do the same thing. Um, obviously, there's money to be had in publish- republishing those mm-hmm. stories and stuff like that, but a big, big love letter like this is way cooler to me. Um, the narrative hook that it's Galactus yes. narrating the entire yeah. thing, I think is hilarious and awesome. Yeah. 
Um, I think it's a great way to... The only other person I can imagine it being is one of the Watchers. Yeah. Well, with Galactus, so, it's neat because, I mean, his whole conceit is that he was born at the birth of this universe. Yes. So I, I really... That's a really... Because clo- it would be so easy just in the, you know, the uh, shorthand of comics to have it be a Watcher who's just all-knowing and all-seeing. But having the guy who lived through it all is really cool. Yeah, I, I really like the um, in-universe meta-contextual nature Sure, absolutely. Um, also, I will say that Nick Bradshaw's cover Gorgeous. for this is amazing. Yeah, that was almost my it's, my pick for next yeah, week. Yeah, m- me too. Um, I am on the Judging by the Cover column with our manga editor, uh-huh. Eric Klein, for next yeah. week. Um, and I did end up picking that one because if folks don't know, it's got a bunch of Marvel characters in a comic. Yes. <laughs> it's so great. Um, and you just can't, the media about the media. I really love stuff mm-hmm. like that. I really love um, using the medium itself to push forward the medium. Mm-hmm. I think that all that stuff is really interesting. I love comics as much as Kamala Khan does. Yes. So I think that that's really that's cool. Great. Um, speaking of judging by the cover yeah. though, this is our um, mini, our podcast within mm-hmm. a podcast, um, judging by the cover mm-hmm. junior. I should get a uh, soundboard bite for this. That's like judging by the cover junior. junior. <laughs> um, so <laughs> yeah, something like that. Um, but this is where we pick one yes. cover, and um, like I previously mentioned, I will be on the the adult judging by the cover senior. Uh-huh version of this later this week on aiptcomics.com if you want to check mm-hmm. that out but nathan what is your one cover oh man pick? uh so it was almost the the uh history of the marvel universe that you mentioned but i had to go with uh the variant cover for curse of the white knight number one um it's not really an obvious pick but i just think it looks rad i mean that's literally all it comes down to is it's a uh I, I get really excited. About, I'm already excited about the idea that uh, Azrael is like a main character in this story, and to see like sort of a um, very true to the '90s design for Azrael, complete with the weird, yes. the weird tatter cape, and the flaming sword, and that logo that's like straight out of like the Alan Grant I series. I love that it is misplaced. Oh yeah. It's just like in the center of the right hand yeah, it's side. It's like it's framing his head. Like it's almost like kind it's of. almost like <laughs> he put a spoiler on his own shoulders that has his logo yeah. on it. Um, it's, it's really like I really it's, like it. Yeah, and there's also like a really cool use of negative space uh, on the cover. Like there's a lot of like the, just the the embers mm-hmm. flying off the sword. It just kind of uh, it looks really metal, bruh. Like that's that's all it really comes down to is I picked the one that I thought was just so dope. Um, yeah, what was yours? I, mean, I think that works. I think it's yeah. cool. Um, mine is Mars Attack. Yes. Um, and this actually, it doesn't say it's a number one or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, it's from Dynamite. Mm-hmm. It is written by Carl Starks, and the cover illustrator is Chris yes. Schweizer. Um, this is the team from Rocky yeah. Mountain. I really love, it's just one of the Martians from Mars Attacks. <laughs> it's got that drippy, um, pulpy font with, with exclamation point included. Uh-huh. Um, it's just the Martian's face with this kind of orange and green light shining off of yeah. his eyes and off of his teeth and his weird finger frills. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, really like it just because it's so quintessentially it, yeah. pulp. 
for lack of a better word. I would I could see like the blob having a cover it, like it's this. It's creepy, as well. but it's also goofy as hell. It kind of reminds me of yeah. um some of the cover art for like Afterlife with Archie or Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Yes. Uh, absolutely. I really dig it. That like 50s faux horror Sure. Like you would vibe. see this at a at a drive-in theater. Yeah. 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 Um so I I really really love sure. it for that. It's very simple. Yeah. But um, it's just so evocative. Yeah. And I, I'm excited to check out this series. I didn't realize who all was uh, attached to it uh, or if it's. Yeah. yeah. And looking further into it, it actually says a trade paperback or graphic. Oh, novel. OK. So, so okay. it may just be a longer form Mars Attacks Interesting. story. Interesting. Or, oh, you know um, what? It may it's, also be a collection of the previous. I think previous... you're right. I think that's exactly what it is. Because yeah. that, that series it's was the in trade. October. How did I yeah. miss that? I did, I did too. Why? Um, um, cuz I was just thinking it's weird that they they're just they're doing the uh John Carter versus or the Warlord of Mars attacks right now. So um yes. Yeah, I'll have to check that out cuz I I do I do get a kick out of especially like with with Kyle Stark's work on uh Rick and Morty, like I I feel like he'd really lean into the uh the very 50s goofy aesthetic. So I'm uh I'll have to take a look at that. Yeah. Um, so our next segment is also a Spider-Man <laughs> Surprise. Segment. And uh, just a reminder that this is Spectacular Spider-Month. So over at AIPTComics.com, we've got amazing Spider-Man articles um, every day mm-hmm. of the week. I really want to shout out two of them. Um, well, first of all, actually, I want to shout out mm-hmm. three. Nathan, thank you so much oh. for writing your unproduced web of Spider-Man that was series. Um, one and yeah. two. Those are deep dives into all the Spider-Man movies that were not, if you guys want yes. to check them out. Some of them are crazy. <laughs> um, yeah. We've also got a very, very personal letter from one of our science columnists named um, mm, Kendra, mm-hmm. who is writing a um, letter about how her son's love of Spider-Man inspired her to get away from domestic violence. That's amazing. So um, that it made me cry. Oh. She said that it made her cry while sure. she was writing it. I really hope people will check that out on Monday, the 22nd. I can't wait. And then um, I have a piece from a close friend of mine named Rex Neighbors the mm-hmm. Third, who is doing um, a deep dive into all of Sega's weird Spider-Man. Oh, I'm that's awesome. So, that's great. Yeah, um, that should actually be out by the time you guys hear this episode. I'm publishing it tomorrow, Fun. Saturday. So um, if you want to go check that out on the site, please do. It's it's really fantastic, and they did a really, really great work. Um, also, um, just want to say I've really loved uh, going through all the different costumes with you guys on Fashion Fridays. Yes. Yeah, we've we've had a number of Fashion Fridays. We did um, Peter Parker. We did the Spider Girls, so that's uh-huh. like May Day and Spider Gwen and all that. And then um, we also did uh, Spider's Men, Spider Men, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Miles and um, the Scarlet Spiders and all and that stuff. And the movie stuff. costumes. We also have... Yeah. Yes, we did a live action one that you put together. Yeah, for so sure. Um, and we have another one, the Sinister Six. Oh, fun. Out, yeah. So hope people check that out. Um, but speaking of the Sinister yes. Six, which I think is a very reasonable uh-huh. thread to take from Far uh-huh. From Home. We are going to cast the next Spider-Man MCU villain. officially. So, who, yeah, this is it. We're announcing. We've got it Kevin right Feige now on the phone. Stumble, 
<laughs> as we stumble across IMDb pages. We're, we're actually um, <laughs> um, so. I think on three, okay. we should both say who we think the villain would be. Okay, interesting. Or will be, and then we're gonna see if we can align on casting. Okay. Them. Well, I feel like the so. villain that I want it to be won't be the villain. Um, but okay, so you can do choice A and choice okay. A one. Okay, That's fine. Well, on, okay, um, yeah. One, two, Craven. <laughs> yeah. That is my A and A one actually. That I no because I feel yeah. like they I I'm worried that they wouldn't do Craven, but I want them to do Craven. Mm. Although then okay. again, why do you think that they wouldn't do it? I feel like it all comes down to like a, a to visuals. I I really do. I think that he's maybe it, not the most exciting yeah. visual character. Um, although with the the uh, developments at the end of Far From Home, it's not out of the possibility that he yes. would be on the hunt. Um, perhaps yes. a last hunt. Agreed. <laughs> um, <laughs> Can you imagine if they adapted him just eating handfuls of That's spiders? the whole movie. It's just uh, yeah. that's just it. an hour of him sitting Let's there on the couch. Werner Herzog in here to <laughs> film the dude eating spiders. Um. Let's get uh, I... let's get Paul F. Tompkins as Werner Herzog to direct <laughs> it. Um, um, here's why I think that they okay. will do it. Russophobia is at an all time oh, high sure. here in America. Okay. Can you can can they possibly ignore the easy out of painting a Russian as a bad That's guy? True. Like, I think that that is popular mm-hmm. both on the right-hand side and also the mm-hmm. left, uh, more particularly on uh-huh. the left. Um, and certainly MCU movies have a bit of a, a leftist uh-huh. message, one that I personally love, but um, yes. they do. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and can you, can, I don't think that it's such an easy win culturally and um, historically. Mm-hmm. And then also Craven's Last Hunt is often on like, the top 10 best Spider-Man stories lists and all that stuff. I hold a controversial hot take or opinion that it ruined the character. Oh, yeah. Because um, they can't follow it. Ev- every story afterwards has been a remix of Last yeah. Hunt. But also, man, I would love to see Last Hunt itself adapted. Oh, right sure. Now. Absolutely. Um, who do you think should play <laughs> Kravet? Okay. K. Rick. This is just straight off the cuff, and it might be completely ridiculous. Uh, um, oh shoot, what is his name? Hang on, you go first. You go okay. first. I can't think of I, all. Of, I, his name just left my head for some reason. Well, mine is also really okay. weird. Um, a lot of people think it should be Keanu Reeves. <laughs> no, like Keanu Reeves is going to play Silver Surfer or Mephisto um, or someone. Dan Slott, like, I think, said he should be uh, Moon Knight, and I am so yeah, into that. That would be awesome. Um, it's not going to be Keanu. Okay. Sorry, yeah. y'all. It's, I think, <laughs> Adrian Brody would be great. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. And he's wearing the uh, he's wearing the fake dreads that got him kicked off of Saturday Night Live <laughs> when he hosted when he hosted. Uh, yeah. Um, um, no, I could see that. Yeah, and, and this is actually because I saw um, a, a fake uh-huh. spoiler. I'm not spoiling Far From Home, 
that Adrian Brody was going to appear as Norman Osborn. Oh, weird. Okay. Th- that obviously yeah. didn't happen in the movie at all. But it did have me thinking, I would really like Adrian Brody in an MCU mm-hmm. movie. And I, he's played kind of obsessive characters sure. in the past. Um, he was actually great in Predators. Oh, yeah. That's not that's not a very good movie. but He's, he's really, really good, good in it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, he's really good in the jacket, um, also very under underseen yeah, genre picture. Yeah. So, um, I think that he could do it. I think, you know, give him a little bit of a sloppy haircut, yeah. toss him in um, first a suit, and then eventually the lion's pelt. Now, do you um, want do you I want wiry Adrian Brody, or do you want him to bulk up a little bit? I don't think he needs to bulk okay. up at all. I think Craven can work as a kind of like life sly fast character. which is the complete opposite um, from my fan casting i'm very excited yeah um so that's who who do you got your money on <laughs> uh david harbour <laughs> uh sheriff hopper <laughs> for the one thing the dude needs a win after hellboy um but also just and 90 percent of it comes down to the massive forehead furrowed brow and mustache um, but okay. just the idea of even if he's not like the the primary villain, the idea of seeing, uh, seeing him in a big fur vest and uh, please give me the hammiest Russian accent as possible. Like I, there's something about that that every time I think about it, it makes me giggle, and I I think that that's very important. If they're not gonna do Last Hunt, then I want I want the most over the top craven possible okay okay no i'm not yeah. bad at it it's it's very um, he I, would not be i mean he's not he's got that kind of um that ray livingston thing about him where he's like a big guy but he's he's like he's tough but he's not in shape if that makes sense and that he just kind of has like that big game hunter look about him for some reason um it would be it would definitely be a very different maybe not exactly comics accurate take but uh for some reason i can't shake sure. it yeah I, I like um that we both picked craven but went in such a oh, different oh absolutely well you went you went with uh who's the craven that would actually be intimidating and i went with i want to see <laughs> i want to see like you know strong make strong bones craven like i want to see video like animated yeah. series craven <laughs> yeah um. Yeah, I think, I think Craven's yeah, a good for pick. Sure. I I, I've seen a lot of fan casting for that. I've seen a lot of wrong fan casting. I'm not going to call out particular mm-hmm. people or characters or actors or anything like that. Um, I think Craven's very likely. Mm-hmm. Um, what also interesting though is that there's a character named Dimitri in Far yeah. From Home. Yeah. Which is the chameleon's name? Yeah, I noticed that. There, there's some. Um, um, well, it's it's weird. There's a. Uh, I mean, do you think they'd want to do... They don't want to retread a, a villain already. And I think some of those characters might still be wrapped up in Sony rights. So I I, I have a mm-hmm. feeling we're not mm-hmm. going to see the Green Goblin during Tom Holland's tenure. I And I don't think it's smart to do yeah. that. I think you could do Hobgoblin, sure. maybe. Um, or or Demo Goblin. Goblin. <laughs> I, I just, yeah, I, it's just yeah. not gonna be and i'd love to see to, to i'd love to see uh morbius but we're not and we're getting uh, whatever that yeah i don't be. even want to talk about I know. that 
Well, you're not not a Jared Leto fan. <laughs> uh, moving on. <laughs> this is our segment called Off Topic yeah. Top Shelf. We pick something that is not comics. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only rule, though. So something that we've been enjo- mm-hmm. enjoying, something that we're digging, something other people should yeah. check out. Um, and it's okay. Europe. Um, well, lately I've been obsessed with the new album from the band He Is Legend. Uh, they're a rock band from North Carolina. Uh, the album's called White Bat, and they're they're kind of a funky band because they've really uh, they they were they were kind of cult hits in the early two thousands. They had an album called I Am Hollywood, which like was like yes, really took off. I love that it's great, album. and it still holds up. Like uh, you can still throw. I mean, if you like um, that kind of early two thousands hardcore, a little bit of metalcore sound to it, um, but it's like. The way I describe it is cerebral metal, if that makes sense, because like the lyrics are all very uh, almost English lit <laughs> lyrics uh, over over yeah. very chaotic guitar and occasional like just bonkers breakdowns. Um, but they've really changed up their sound and lineup over the years. Um, but the new album, and I I always hesitate to use the phrase like return to form. But it really kind of is. Uh, it's inspired by uh, a lot of the songs are inspired by um, Michelle McNamara's book "I'll Be Gone in the Dark," um, and so a lot of this, it's a concept album from the point of view of a uh, serial killer called the White Bat. Um, but it's it's not as uh, it's not as problematic as that sounds. <laughs> Um, a lot of the songs are kind <laughs> yeah. of uh, like it's kind of dark and mean, but a lot of the songs are kind of about like the hypocrisy you see growing up in the Bible Belt and, you know, trying to find your way in a world that completely misunderstands you. Um, some of the songs have kind of like an Alice in Chains vibe and then some more kind of sludgy, bluesy, like the damned things. Um but basically, if you like your rock music really loud, uh, I've seen them probably more i've seen them live probably more than any other band uh and they are you know that joke in spinal tap where they say spinal tap was named the loudest band in the world they're they're genuinely he is legend is the loudest band i've ever seen um oh you haven't seen sun no i would love to uh the uh okay fantastic uh yeah but he is legend they're they're uh the new record is meant to be played as loud as possible. So if, if you like kind of mean and dirty rock and roll, uh, then I would say check. I was literally listening to it before we started recording. I can't stop putting it on repeat. Is is there any one song that you would recommend <sighs> um, people check out? Yeah. Uh, Burn All Your Rock Records is the second song on the album. And it's got a very, uh, very bluesy uh, kind of... You can you can literally see people two stepping like while you're listening to it, uh, so <laughs> sure. it's very fast paced, and then it'll have like just a really mean uh, breakdown like out of nowhere. Um, that one, uh, the title track. If you listen to the title track, White Bat, it'll give you a little bit of everything from the album. So uh, really kind of uh, moody. Uh, verses and then very loud chorus and then just a chaotic uh, the outro is like something by like the chariot or something like it gets really like really mm, nasty I love yeah the chariot. it's it awesome. you should if you if you haven't listened to them in a while like white bat there's a lot of stuff that reminds me of uh, I am Hollywood and yeah awesome I'm really digging yeah. it I'm gonna go do that 
Oh, right now. <laughs> um, Listen to this. If you're still listening, if you're still listening, thank you so much for um, joining us for this episode. David will be back next week, probably to give us the dish on everything he saw and heard at San Diego Comic Con. Yeah. So I hope you will check that out as well. In the meantime, we love listener mm-hmm. comments, feedback, reviews. If you're listening on Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts in particular, I can't state overstate really how much those reviews help us out so go in and drop a review um you can tweet at me i'm at forest underscore txt on twitter um and we we love that you listened thanks so much thanks guys bye that was a tight uh 83